Welcome back, listeners. We are here for another episode of Caffeinated Innovation. Very happy to be back. So, Jen, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. We've got some summer left, and I'm getting married in September, so those days are just ticking off. Ooh, only a few weeks, huh? Last month, you're approaching the last month of of unmarried life. I know. How are you feeling? It's great and also scary, right? It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. I mean, everyone at IW knows my partner, and she's fabulous. And she is. Yeah. So you're great. You're, it's going to be, you're marrying your best friend. What have you been up to so far this summer? Oh, my goodness. What have I been up to? Well, I took a lovely trip to Toledo, Ohio. Yeah. I don't know if I would respond in that way. It was an interesting place. Mm -hmm. So my sister and I chose that location because it was equidistant from where she lives, which is Indianapolis. You must really like each other. I don't know if I would drive. I mean, yeah, no, I wouldn't do that for my brothers. Well, we wanted to hang out. We wanted to spend some time together. That's nice. It was an opportunity for us to also do some light I'm using air quotes, trail walking, and there's mm-hmm. a state park right outside of Toledo. And Toledo's also on Lake Erie, so we were able to partake in both and get some sun and spend time together. But I will say, Toledo, Ohio, not the destination I'd recommend for folks. All right. That's- that being said, we had a great time together. Mm-hmm. And... I was in D.C. for a weekend at some point over the summer, and I've been in Philly a few times to visit with family and friends. Mm-hmm. And I also am this weekend going to Philadelphia, actually, because one of my closest friends is getting married, Aww. which is so great and really, really happy for her. And it's going to be a lovely wedding and just such a great next chapter for her and her fiancé to begin. That's fantastic. Summer weddings. Yeah. Everyone loves them. So we have a fantastic guest today. We have Ryan Bove from our very own uh, locally brewed and locally made and founded gluten-free beer company, Arcs Brewing. Ryan, welcome. Thank you for having us. So, Ryan, we always like to begin with our guests telling us what their favorite form of caffeine is. Can you can you enlighten us and tell us and the listeners what's your favorite form of caffeine? I'm a pretty simple guy, so I actually just like a double shot of espresso. Mm. Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's that probably like takes it right there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Pam and I were actually talking about this beforehand, yeah. about what ours is, and we're like, you know, we've had some good beers recently that have caffeine in them, mm-hmm. or maybe they don't, I don't know. I had one recently at Cinderland's, the new brewery in the Strip, um, and it was tea-infused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if it's a good idea to drink beer to get caffeinated, but... It was good on a Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going for a coffee beer, like the level of caffeine that's in there is pretty low. You like, you'll get mm. the coffee flavor. I've never actually had a tea infused beer to know what type of the caffeine chill it is. I know mm. those gets pretty regulated once you start mixing caffeine and alcohol into a drink. So that's interesting to know. I too had recent, it wasn't even that recent. It was back in the winter. Uh, I had a beer. From I think it where was it from Roundabout, and it was an Earl Grey infused beer, and 
as the listeners know, and Ryan, you now will know, I love She's Earl Grey tea. It's one of my, it's my, like my absolute favorite. And anything like Earl Grey cookies, Earl Grey tea. So when I heard about this beer with Earl Grey infused in it, I, I was like, I have to have it. So I went and had it with some friends and then I ended up getting a small growler to take home. I was in heaven. Oh, you like group. Yeah. We're liking it. I was digging it. Yeah. Like majorly. And, but they only do it seasonally, which was really disappointing because I really wanted more and I didn't get back before they stopped making it for the season. So, yeah. Does that something that Rx makes? Would would they, would you, would you ever infuse tea into? Can we do a special edition for caffeinated innovation? Yeah. (laughs) We can. We, uh, so last year we did a, uh, Saison with, and I might pronounce this wrong, Tulsi tea in it, but it was very, mm-hmm. like lemon uh, Tulsi tea. Saison yeast is like a wild fermented yeast. We did mm-hmm. that with uh, Cinderlands uh, as oh, well. Awesome. So like collaboration, uh, it was a collaboration brew with them. So we've done a coffee porter, um, but we haven't experimented with caffeine-based teas. I think we have a beer coming up that has like hibiscus in it, but that oh, would be yeah. non-caffeinated, mm. I guess, tea mm-hmm. infused in the beer. So cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if... From my perspective, I really enjoy the taste of tea. And yes, I certainly am going for some caffeine. But I'd be open to even the non-caffeinated tea beers. Yeah, I mean, they're big. There's a big hit now. And I know that that's actually become like there's a Great American Beer Festival every year. And Mm -hmm. tea beer is actually now a category. So it's becoming more popular. Where is this? Uh, (laughs) The Great American Beer Festival is in Colorado every year. Oh, my goodness. Listeners, if anyone has an in, let me know. (laughs) I'd like to go just to drink the tea-infused beers. Nothing else, just the tea. All right. You, Pam could go on and on about this. So what we want to know, and actually we should probably explain to our listeners why we're talking about beer, <laughs> but Brian, can you talk a little bit about your company and about yourself? Yeah. Um, so we got our start probably about eight or nine years ago. Um, the company started a little after that, but the kind of the influence or the impetus for our founding started about nine years ago. I got really sick. It was just graduated college. I was probably about 23, 24 years old, lost 30 pounds, heart palpitations. Every time I ate, it felt like I was digesting glass. And I went to the doctor for about six months and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And it turned out it was a single protein called gluten found in wheat, barley, and rye and found in pretty much the basis for 99.9% mm. of the beers out there. And that was the problem. So my current business partner we were friends from high school he had been celiac since the age of five so he had followed a gluten-free diet for about 20 years at that time and his wife uh amy sorgo owns a naturally gluten-free grocery store up on sorgo farms up in wexford and that's actually where they met by the way he went in to shop on opening day and um came back the next day and uh, asked her out on a date. So it's a family affair, but they were helping me with the uh, with the diet and transitioning to the food was fine. Um, you can always look more for Asian food, which is more rice-based or um, kind of Latin American food, which is more corn-based. Uh, now there's pretty much every product under the sun. That time it was a little bit more limited, but we got to beer and there were about two options at the time and the taste was pretty poor Mm -hmm. and so I had studied abroad and had tried good tasting beer and it just wasn't going to cut it for me for the rest of my life so that's how we kind of got 
our start. And that was like the inspiration behind the idea. So that's awesome. So that takes me back to um, our first episode this season. You know, Courtney Williamson talked about the reason she started her company was because she's a caregiver for her mom and, um, you know, saw her, you know, go through Parkinson's, right? Like this creating a product because you really need it personally is an interesting reason to become an entrepreneur. What made you take the leap to say, you know, I'm going to create this thing for myself, this beer for myself? Um, So it started out uh, pretty simple. We actually just started homebrewing for ourselves and we were trying the product and we started talking to more and more people that were gluten-free and realized that others had the same problem as well. And so, um, I was going to grad school at the time, and I think one thing kind of led to another. We started using the idea of a brewery for some of my classes. So I got mm-hmm. kind of class credit, I guess, for researching beer and visiting breweries, which was kind of nice. Um, and then at the end, we ended up getting into Alpha Lab, and I think um, that was kind of the switch for like, hey, we were able to get other people to buy into the concept. Mm-hmm. You know, this could be something bigger than us just kind of brewing in our um, apartment. So, What was the response then and what's the response now? Yeah, I mean, so when we first started, there was maybe two five-page papers in, online, maybe a little bit more. There really wasn't a lot of information about brewing gluten-free. Uh, there's a lot more today. Um, but it was definitely a labor of love in the beginning. Um, we actually had to create our own supply chain. So when you brew beer, wow. you malt the grains, which kind of similar to sprouting. If you're kind of the new trendy uh, food, you let the grain grow for a couple of days, you stop the growth and you use that stored up energy to pull out sugars and create alcohol. But that malt, um, is actually was, it just didn't exist for gluten-free beer at the mm-hmm. time. So we actually had to start malting our own grains when we were home brewing and we eventually got connected to a supplier out of Colorado and she's been great and a lifesaver for us but so it was a lot of research and development it took us probably about nine months to come up with the the first product and uh, we got really good feedback Um, we went down to uh, Church Brew Works and they this was before we were commercial brewing kind of had their brewers there try our beer and they gave it what would be the equivalent of a 70 out of a hundred and the beers that were gluten-free at that time were scoring like five or six. So oh, we thought that wow. we like the potential was there. Um, took some time to raise some money, but throughout the whole process, the product feedback from our consumer has been incredible. We have people driving three, four hours for the product from Columbus, Virginia beach, Toronto, wow. um, all over the place to, to come and find the product. And the product has always been just very well received by uh, the gluten-free consumer. And so can consumers, can they purchase it kind of within other breweries around the region or can they purchase it at stores? How do, what's the distribution channel like? So right now um, we've got kind of three layers or three kind of avenues where people can buy our products. So you can come into the brewery. Uh, we're primarily a production facility, but we do have some limited tasting room hours on Thursdays and Fridays from four to eight and Saturdays noon to eight. We're looking to expand those hours. Um, we have a limited number of draft counts, the draft accounts in the area, probably about 12 to 15. Um, we're very particular about those accounts. We've got to make sure that the line's clean so we can't have someone put on like a 
yingling, not clean the line, mm-hmm. and then put our beer on so someone doesn't get sick. So we have about 12 to 15 really good accounts for a draft. And then um, we have two wholesalers right now. So we have one in Western Pennsylvania and one in Eastern Pennsylvania. And so um, some of like the accounts in Western Pennsylvania were in a lot of the market districts, Whole Foods uh, in Eastern Pennsylvania would be in like Wegmans, the Whole Foods out there as well. Um, we're starting to dabble a little bit with some of those accounts that are starting to ship directly to consumers, which is pretty mm. exciting, but that's really in its infancy and cross your fingers. We're starting to talk to wholesalers in, um, Maryland, West Virginia, Ohio, and New Jersey and awesome. New York and Connecticut. So we'll see, I mean, we won't be able to roll out with all of them at once, but hopefully by the end of the year, our beer might be available in two or three other States. That's mm. phenomenal. Thank you. And so your brewery is in Emsworth, Pennsylvania. So why did you pick Emsworth for as a location? Yeah. So um, how we ended up in Emsworth is actually we ended up there by chance. So we started um, when we first started looking at places, we ended up getting sent to Emsworth by the real estate agent by accident. They meant to send one of their other clients there. Emsworth is like a probably about a mile long. It's kind of between Swickley and, and Avonworth. Mm-hmm. But when we started looking at um, towns or places in the city, so um, beer is pretty regulated. So you have local, federal, state, all kinds of permitting. We would go and talk to like the local borough office and just see what the permitting was like. And there was a, um, and still is an amazing lady that works at the borough office, uh, Kathy. And she, um, we really liked her and we kind of just, our my business partner kind of drove around and saw a building that was going on the market. And that's really how we ended up there. So it was really by chance, but it's worked out very well for us. So do you find the location to be helpful as far as bringing folks in or is there because emsworth for listeners emsworth is a little outside the city up 65 right yeah correct so what is that like as far as bringing uh guests into you know into the space itself so um because we're a little bit more production focused than retail it it, it's worked out pretty well for us when we first started there really weren't a lot of breweries like north of the city, the where where we're at. So we had, I don't want to say like a monopoly, but there just weren't as many breweries in that area. That's changed a little bit. Um, it's definitely not as densely populated as mm-hmm. if we were in the city. Um, but it is like the gluten-free consumer, they will travel. So it, it's less being kind of out where we are, I think is good because we're a little bit more production focused. We have a little bigger footprint and the rent's a lot lower than if we were in kind of more of a higher traffic area. And it's a nice little neighborhood. The neighbors are great. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's worked out pretty well, but it's a good fit for us because of our focus on production and distribution, as Mm -hmm. opposed to being a little bit more retail focused. That's, uh, it's great that you're so community focused. And I want to come back to that in a little bit, but first, Let's talk about the technology in which, like, how do you make the beer gluten-free? I think that's probably a really interesting kind of piece for listeners and just the science of of extracting gluten from beer in the same way that you have, you know, like a Leona's ice cream, right, here in the city that they extract the lactose and it's still ice cream, but it doesn't affect someone who's lactose intolerant in the same way. So what's the science behind extracting the gluten? Yeah, so um, beer is really four ingredients. It's malt, hops, yeast, and water. Um, And 
the malt is typically barley, wheat, or rye. So we actually don't use any of those ingredients. We brew our beer primarily with millet and quinoa, which are 100% gluten-free ingredients. They're um, gluten-free grains. Some of our beers will use a little bit of buckwheat, which actually doesn't have wheat in it. It's more similar to like a rhubarb. Um, and we've like, dabbled with like amaranth and rice and some other mm-hmm. styles. But we're primarily millet and quinoa, which is naturally gluten-free. Um, we keep our entire facility to be gluten-free, so no outside non-gluten-free food, including employee lunches, those type of things. We test every ingredient that comes through the door for cross-contamination. So we take that really seriously, wow. and um, I think our customers really respond to that. If they can find a place where they feel safe, uh, it's really important to them because there are you know, a lot of people – might have the best intentions at a, from a restaurant standpoint, but if they might not be fully aware of cross-contamination, it's pretty easy for someone who's really sensitive to get sick. So we really kind of cater to the most sensitive person. Um, there is a trend in the industry for gluten-reduced beers, and it's a pretty hotly debated topic, but there's a lot of research coming out. Um, that would be a barley-based beer where they extract the gluten. Some people are okay with that, but a lot mm-hmm. of people still get sick um from that so that's a without getting into the science that's a little bit more of a hot button topic in the beer industry right now more so just for the gluten-free uh part of the beer industry you know ryan that's really interesting that you're able to manipulate the ingredients in the way you are right where you're not necessarily extracting so you're really making it fully gluten-free and the fact that you're comparing it with some of the other products that are more gluten sensitive versus the gluten-free it really provides that experience for the consumer and for the the drinker who has the allergy and the sensitivity to really have an experience of consuming the beer without any worry, uh, which for someone who has other food mm-hmm. sensitivities, it's it, I wish that there were more product developers out there that were really contemplating how to do that and how to do it effectively and thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. And I mean – it also just tastes great. I I drink Aurochs when I see it on a menu and I do not have celiacs. I'm, you know, not gluten sensitive. It's just a really good tasting beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for consumers out there, you know, try your Aurochs brewing because mm-hmm. it's good whether you're gluten free or not. Yeah. So so I want to talk about your experience in Alpha Lab because you know, Orox is not a usual Alpha Lab type of company. And you were actually in Alpha Lab before Alpha Lab Gear even started. So it probably would have been a better fit for the hardware component, but it was, you know, Alpha Lab software. So can you dig into the experience there? What made you think of, you know, starting this in Alpha Lab? How did that happen? Yeah, so when we were doing our research and development, I was going to Carnegie Mellon at the time. And I think uh, at that time, and still very much so, Alpha Lab and Carnegie Mellon, the Pittsburgh community is pretty small and intertwined. Mm-hmm. And so I think we just got to know some of the people at Alpha Lab and we um, submitted our application. And I think that the it was a really untapped market and that was compelling mm-hmm. um, for the Alpha Lab team. But I think even though we're a little left of center in terms of what the typical company might be, I think it's been an extremely positive experience. The mentorship and the connections have been amazing. And even as we grow now, as we're starting to expand uh, even further and trying to change in our companies growing and evolving, we still tap into that network Mm -hmm. pretty recently. Um, 
you know, we're, we're starting to learn a little bit more about social media and mm-hmm. kind of getting more efficient with our online marketing. It's pretty easy to kind of call down to Alpha Lab and mm-hmm. find five people with really good experience, ask them for coffee, kind of pick their brain. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the mentorship and the network have been just super valuable for us, even though we might not kind of on the surface look like the mm-hmm. typical Alpha Lab company. You got a social media expert right here. Yeah, you know. We'll be we'll be talking after. <laughs> we'll be getting coffee <laughs> yeah. or beers. I'm yeah, whatever, fine whatever, beers. whatever. You want. <laughs> so, let's go back to the community piece that we started talking a little bit about before. So, you mentioned you had a really great experience with uh, some of the borough folks in Emsworth. And I know in some of our conversations leading up to your visit today, we talked a little bit about your participation in some of the brew fests here in the region. Can you can you share with us a little bit more about those experiences and what really drives you to participate in in some of those activities? Yeah, so the we're pretty fortunate that the industry that we're in is just very collaborative mm-hmm. in general. Um, so we have communities, I guess, at four or five different levels. We have our physical community, which is Amsworth, which actually now um, two of our brewery bartenders are actually literally walk across the street. They were good customers and decided like on the weekend to kind of help us out and maybe let Doug and I go home and see our wives (laughs) on occasion. And um, so like the Emsworth community is one example. Um, Also, there's the Pittsburgh brewing community is amazing. There's a official guild now, but the support has been there from day one, even without the official guild. And there's a state guild and and a federal guild as well. And that kind of lends itself to a lot of um, different community partnerships and events. And um, you know, almost every month we're involved in one event or one form of another. So uh, May was Celiac Awareness Month. So we mm. uh, partnered with the North Hills Community Outreach and kind of getting gluten-free food uh, into their uh, food banks for people who are sick or, but, you know, maybe can't afford or have to rely on their services. So, and then upcoming, we're participating in uh, Fresh Fest, which is, mm-hmm. um, kind of a minority owned businesses are paired with local breweries and it's um you know it's a pretty revolutionary and probably almost garnering national attentions Mm -hmm. it's actually i think usually right out on your guys front lawn right out right out here Mm -hmm. so um and that's actually the the tulsi tea beer and uh lemon saison that we did last year was for that festival i think for this year we've got um a sangria base beer coming up so so fancy but yeah so that will be in early august and so the but there's different festivals almost each and every week and i think craft beer is very collaborative and very community based so i think that just has to be a part of our ethos and now we're starting to see um there are other gluten-free breweries popping up in the country and so there's starting to become um a community based around that because we are trying to recreate thousands of years of barley-based brewing. So we've got to kind of mm-hmm. team up and grow together. So That's – I love that. And does the that festival that happens here on the north side, does that bring in breweries from all over the country or just regional? Um, I don't know the specifics, but my understanding is that it's local breweries paired with local businesses. However, the press that it garners is typically national. Yeah. I think it last year even got coverage on like NPR and some really big news outlets because I, I might not know the exact specifics, but I think it's the first 
beer festival of its kind in the country yeah. is my knowledge to my knowledge. I'm really interested in like the e-commerce side of what you're doing, right? Like selling beer online. It was, you know, pretty early on. Were other people doing that? What does that look like? How hard was that to do? I know, right? When you go to your website, you have to click. I am 21. I'm over 21. Like what is what are some of the things that you, you know, had to go around, get through when trying to build that out? So in terms of shipping beer directly to consumers, how we handle it right now is we, in Pennsylvania, you're able to ship directly to consumers in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. We're not physically doing that. We have an account right now who's doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that this is going to be like the next wave of where one of the key waves of where beer is headed. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I know that Amazon was trying to tackle it for a very long time, and I don't think they've quite crack the code yet beer is perishable mm-hmm. um the the price point's not as high as maybe wine or liquor for shipping at the same time there is end consumer demand for that long tail product so i think right now where shipping most happens is you find it depends on the state you're shipping from mm-hmm. and the one you're shipping to um, a lot of people are also maybe doing something where you would ship it to a distributor in say new york and then that New York would be able to ship within the state, the mm, state exactly. lines. So it's really early on. I think that is where, at least for some craft breweries, that's going to be a really mm-hmm. important role because their one-off and specialty beers are so big now. And I think that that would give an opportunity to maybe branch out on those one-off or specialty mm-hmm. beers. And considering we're like a pretty small niche, it's something we're looking at. We haven't yeah. quite cracked it yet, but we're starting to experiment with it. Are you using a company called Beverages to You? Correct. That was okay. Yeah. And they think people can order from them and Correct. Yeah. yeah. So they're they're doing the shipping and there's gotcha. maybe three or four breweries in the state of Pennsylvania that are shipping directly. We haven't quite done that yet mm-hmm. just because of the the labor involved. We're gonna um we're really pleased with how it's going so far. It's pretty early with the beverages to you. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that that would be a really good um, it's really early for us, but I think it would be really powerful. Yeah. And I expect to see a lot more of that in the future, especially like the, it's not in Pennsylvania per se, but like Drizzly and other beer delivery mm-hmm. services are becoming very, very big. So Ryan, um, you know, you're an entrepreneur. One of the questions we ask, you know, on the podcast is giving us some advice and some advice to our listeners. You know, if they're budding entrepreneurs, what would you tell them? You know, you're, you're, you know, one or two pieces of advice that you think they should know? Yeah, I mean, so I probably have 20 things there. We've learned so many lessons. <laughs> 20 and, is fine. Yeah, 20 <laughs> is fine. We'll, we'll double the length of the episode. But we've learned so many lessons, and um, and we were very fortunate, like I said, to have the mentorship that steered us away mm-hmm. from a few more. But the two that really stick out for me, and maybe this is kind of the nature of our business, is um, I think one is that you got to really have passion for the problem you're solving. And I might be a little biased in that um, I'm solving a problem where I'm the core consumer base. So that might lead to that. But related to that, you're going to have setbacks. So don't get too high or too low. Mm. But it is going to take twice as long as you think it will and cost twice as much money. And I think that's actually a Frank Daimler line. So <laughs> be ready for that. And mm-hmm the passion will get you through kind of those highs and those lows and also the fact that it's just going to take longer than you think. So 
So speaking of access to beer, right? So for listeners, where would they find the RX beer if they if they were like, I want to get some and I want to have some out, where around the region could you find it? Yeah, Other so, than purchase at Market District, like you said, but like if you wanted to go to a bar and have. Yeah, so I mean, if you're in um, Pittsburgh, uh, I mean, so what we're working on right now, I mean, the easiest way is to probably at this point email us, but we're working on actually an interactive map Ooh, that will basically okay. take our wholesaler reports from mm-hmm. the previous month mm-hmm. and kind of make it more streamlined so mm-hmm. that you can see. So, um, you know, my business partner, Doug, who handles a lot more of the sales, could probably rattle off, you know, our top 20 accounts and he would know where to send you. But I think right now, email us, but in the very near future, um, that interactive map mm-hmm. should be up and running. And I think that would be really helpful because balancing the supply and demand of a niche product when you have totally. two intermediaries is really, really challenging. Oh, I'm so, sure. Yeah. I'm sure. So the last question we like to invite all of our guests to answer is how can listeners find you outside of this episode? So if they want to follow you on social media or if they want to reach out, what's the best way to do that? So, I mean, we're on the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's at Orox Brewing. I think actually, too, if you pick up one of our cans, it's on there as well. Um, so it'd be pretty Incentive easy to, to buy. Yeah. Them. yeah. <laughs> um, and www.oroxbrewing.com. So either on Facebook or through our website. Um, and then through there, you could email us and still answer all the emails personally. So. <laughs> That's great. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. We had a great time. We will most certainly be enjoying a beer from Arc soon and hope all of our listeners decide to maybe not caffeinate their day, but end their day today <laughs> with... Uh, if you so choose. Yeah, if you choose, of course, uh, with, with some beer from our very own gluten-free uh, brewery, Arx Brewing. Thank you guys for having us. Innovation Works is the Southwestern Pennsylvania Ben Franklin Technology Partner. Music created by Ethan Ziegler, Startable alum. Special thanks to our Season 2 producer, Sidekick Media Services.